0: Joel. This is Creativity Pulse, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. For those of you just joining us, there are two weekly episodes, the first with a guest and a second weekly roundup. This links the week's conversation to some creativity stuff. It includes some practical hints to help you exercise, flex, and build your creative mental muscle. Here we are on the Creativity Pulse. In the last discussion, Josh and I were talking about a number of issues regarding heightened feelings of anxiety in companies during and after the pandemic. We also talked about people occupying the same space, and this influencing creativity between people, and a number of other fascinating topics that sprung from these areas of discussion. Remember, this is a podcast where the guests do the talking, so we'll get straight back into the conversation now. Just before the end of the last episode, Josh and I had been discussing leadership, being both caring and competent. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there actually advocating going and giving your employees big hugs, you know, and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, there's probably probably com- corporate rules and regu- regulations that stop you from doing that. Do you sort of feel that managers, the higher up they get, need to be sort of more innovative with how they sort of approach that type of leadership? you know, the, the competence and the caring side of things?
1: Well, you know, a, a lot of times the higher up in an organization, if you have a very hierarchically structured organization, I think sometimes the higher you go in the hierarchy, uh, the fewer the people that you're interacting with on a consistent and, and um, close basis, right? So you, you may be spending a lot of time thinking about organizational strategy, meeting just with other very high-level leaders in your organization, and when you do engage with people that are, um, you know, further down in the organizational chart, if you're thinking of it in that way, it's going to be less frequent and less close, probably. You know, like you may be giving a, it's a larger organization, maybe giving a presentation about organizational strategy to like your mid-level managers and, and frontline employees, for example. And this is not like an easy venue in which to, to have interpersonal relationships with, you know, several hundred people. So I think you know that that's then you have to be thinking about how you communicate care. I can demonstrate my competence as a leader kind of from a distance if I'm open about how I make decisions and why I make. But it's it's a little trickier to communicate care uh, to the entire organization. So you can do that I think in, in several ways. Um, I really like when leaders do spend some time in the field with with people and you know kind of demonstrate that they are understanding. The perspective of people from different parts of the organization, I think that's pretty powerful. It doesn't mean that you have to be like that with every single employee, but you should have that relationship for most positions in your organization. Like, you know, I understand how the billing department works because I, you know, spent a day there seeing how they do things. And I understand how service delivery works in this service line because I've spent time there with them doing their work don't have to be with every single employee, but finding ways to demonstrate that you understand the perspective of the different stakeholder groups in your organization, I think, is an important way
0: to demonstrate care. So basically what you're saying, there's a shift of emphasis from the what's actually um, noticeable, I guess, from, as you say, in the hierarchical lower down the chain, They know, they know that you care because you're highly competent.
1: Let's see, how's the, how would you like kind of spell out the logic of the relationship here? It's like you you demonstrate care by by taking the time to understand perspective. And if you take the time to do that, I think one of the side effects would be that people trust your decision-making more. Like for example, you know, in a school... <laughs> So there's just one type of organization where you know the stakes are high. Like parents and you know, like a a school with young of of young children, for example. Parents are going to be really involved. They're going to care a lot about outcomes. Everybody's going to be a little bit overworked. Chances are, Um, and you've got a fairly hierarchical kind of structure to things. You know, you have administration and then the principal and the superintendent, and you have classroom teachers and. So you know, for a leader in that context, you know, demonstrating that you understand the perspective of um, classroom teachers, specialist teachers, um, people in the, the administration, and you know, janitors, custodians, you know, like everybody, if, if you can demonstrate that you understand their perspective by spending some time in each of those functional areas, um, I think you're going to what you're going to find is that you have increased trust from everybody, and that when you have to make a decision even if it's one that, for example, classroom teachers don't like, uh, if they know that you've taken the time to understand the perspective and you spell out kind of why you made the decision the way that you did, I think you're going to find that you it's much easier to get people to, to go along with you without a lot of resistance. And so I think that's because you that's the way that you're demonstrating care is by perspective taking.
0: Let's move on from the corporate stuff and move on to the really fun stuff, the personal stuff, you, I know you do, or you, you do, you produce electronic music. Do you write and produce because they're two really different um, processes?
1: Yeah. So um, yes, I do. I do pretty much everything except for the mastering at the final step. Um, you know, I spent some time trying to get good at doing all of it, you know, writing and production, writing, arrangement, production, and mastering. And, um, it's really hard to do all that. I know a lot of, a lot of my friends and, and colleagues that do similar things, um, you know, have taken the time to get good at that final step too. But I, I, what I've found is that just as a matter of like time management, you know, like this is a, it's, um it's like a very serious hobby I guess is the way that I'd put it you know it's it's not my profession but it's not just sort of a a small thing you know it's a it's a pretty big investment that I've I've been involved in for decades you know and something that I care a lot about and it's an important outlet for me I think to have, have this way of kind of communicating with the world it's not just me talking um and so I've kind of I've kind of made my peace with the fact that I, I'll get good at everything up to the final mixdown, and then once the final mixdown is done, I'll pass it to a different set of ears who are
0: really good with mastering. Um, but yes, everything before the mastering. I I'm like you. I sort of the ideas guy. Hey, I've got five chords, three chords, a melody. I can hear the drums doing this. Here's sort of a funky bass line, whatever it may be. Uh, I have worked with people before who then said, okay put it, let's put it all down. We'll rearrange everything. Uh, then they threw it back at me and I was like, wow, that's sort of how I heard it. Again, as the detail built up, I became less and less interested in the process. So which part of that do you sort of think, yes, that makes me excited and, oh gosh, I have to do this now.
1: Yeah. Well, um, let me answer that, but, Uh, but um, add some other things if that's all right. So I I was thinking about this before our conversation today. And I think that really there's one creative process that I use for pretty much everything. And um, maybe it's, it's easiest to see it as a process in music, but I realized that actually I do this and with everything, this is just kind of the way I, I approach anything that I find, interesting or important. And I think it, it kind of goes like this. Number one is inspiration, right? So uh, we can talk about how you might create a, a venue for an inspiration to happen, but it's not the kind of thing. It's like the kind of thing that if you're chasing it too hard, you're not going to get it. You've just sort of got to be like, it's, it's going to show up <laughs> and when it shows up, you've got to be able to recognize it. Hey, that's, that's the idea. I've got to go explore that. Number one is like inspiration. So the idea comes to you. And then number two is I think something like free association. So here's this inspiration. Like what is, what is that thing? Like, let's, let's play with that a little bit. What does that look like over here? And what does it look like over there? And what if I, you know, I add this to it and how does it relate to this other thing that I have, this other idea that I have just really pursue it in every direction you can possibly imagine. So Step one, inspiration. Step two, free association. And then step three, in the process of free associating, you're going to have, you know, like if this is something that you're writing, you're going to have written a lot of ideas and words in addition to that first um, inspiration. You're going to have accumulated things that kind of go along with that inspiration. If it's music, you're going to have accumulated little, you know, melodic or, um, or rhythmic elements that go along with that. That uh, original inspiration. You're going to have accumulated other ideas, right? They could be sonic ideas, they could be written ideas, whatever. But you're going to have accumulated some stuff. And so three, remove distractions, I think. So look at all the stuff you've accumulated and take away the stuff that's noise. Occasionally, occasionally, one of the things that goes is that original inspiration. (laughs) I think. Occasionally. You know, the original inspiration. Yeah. Um, maybe more than occasionally, uh, but it's like that first inspiration led to something else. And then that next thing is the thing that you end up sticking with. But I think, you know, step three, removing distractions, like clear out all the stuff that you're not like really excited about. Uh, And then from there, I think it's, it's, it's step four is something like refining your key elements, right? So if you've got, a couple ideas that are rhythmic ideas, and a couple ideas that are melodic. Like get, you know, make those high quality. Get those, you know, get invest some more in those key elements. And then once you've done that, I think step five is something like integrating the parts. Um, you you kind of bring it all together, and you know, create nice transition pieces if you need to. I I do this in writing. I do this in you know program design for weightlifting. Um, I do this in music for sure. You know, I've I've got to the the part where I'm like, okay, this part's awesome. This part's awesome. These things work. Now let's get them to play together and 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 move from one to the other really smoothly. So that's refining. uh, That's focusing on integrating the parts. And then the last step is just finishing it. And this is where I have fallen down so many times in every every pursuit, every single pursuit, like in, in philosophy, in consulting, in music, everywhere. It's like you can stay in that loop of inspiration, free association, removing distractions, refining key elements and focus on integration and never get out of it. So at some point, you just have to say, okay, this thing is going to be done. I don't know how you set the end goal exactly. It could be a date. It could be something. Just finish it you know i think one of the biggest obstacles is like my own sense of needing to like what if this is the last thing i ever do it's got to be great it's got to be you know it's got to like really demonstrate who i am and what i'm worth
0: i think there are some theories out there that actually sort of say you know look the the reason the difference between sort of people being famous and never hearing about them is literally your point number six finishing the tracks finishing the exercise, finishing the book, finishing the, you know, the actual travel or whatever it may be. Um, I think there's a lot of books on Amazon about business, you know, writing strategy and doing all of this until finally someone says, so we're going to implement this, are we? And everybody sort of looks terrified. I think my process is pretty much the same. I get to that. I love the creative side of things. I, I, it's interesting, your point three is what, um, again, the guy eludes me, uh, might be Nick, Nick Trenton. He uh, read a book uh, um, about m- uh, mental models recently, and he calls it all about and systems thinking. He calls it all about connecting the dots. He says the more dots you have out there, which is your sort of process that you go through in creating all of those, wow, that's a cool riff, or that's a nice drum beat, or what a lovely melody, that sort of thing. You get that moment of inspiration. And all of a sudden, all of those dots light up and you go through all of that as you go through that free association, I guess, in stage two, where you are then connecting all of those dots, which rapidly brings you into four and five. And then it's honing all of that down. But I mean, there are huge amounts of bands. I know I was into U2. I saw them for the first time in 1982. And I think Bono and The Edge sort of bring the ideas to the band and then the other two sit down and do stuff and they get excited when the other two get excited. So the rhythm section effectively are the guys who say, great idea, no. Um, And then it all sort of comes together and everybody has their sort of job in the band. And I think it's recognizing whether it's in in the family whether it's in communities or whether it's in you know corporations large small whatever it may be that it's recognizing people's sort of talents in that respect some people are superb producers you know jimmy irvine for instance um you know apparently he can't play an instrument um, who cares you know he produced huge amounts of people made them famous so who do you actually take all of your you've got down to integrating all of your bits what do you do with it to get it finished do you send it to a colleague or
1: yeah that's a good question yes typically i will and so typically um yeah so i'll get i'll get something that i think okay this this is a this is a finished solid draft but i don't have it in my head like this is this has to be the final thing and what i'm looking for from my friends and colleagues is just that they're gonna, they're just gonna say, yeah, Josh is perfect. Um, sometimes I, I have a little bit of a tendency to to want to just do that, be like, okay, I'm gonna get it perfect, and then I'm just gonna, you know, like share it, and everybody else is gonna agree. But I think like loosening my grip on that and being like, this isn't done. This is my first pass, and I need some feedback from some other ears. Um, or some other eyes or other minds, um, depending on the thing. <laughs> uh, so yes, that, that step I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, you know, try to get feedback from people whose perspectives I think are, are valuable. And then I'll take that feedback and figure out what to do with it. And sometimes it's, it's taking really specific advice and implementing it right away. Other times it's, you know, looking at what I hear from five different people and thinking, ah, oh, what's like the common, what's the common, thread to all that feedback and then maybe make some some changes on the basis of uh, kind of an integrated understanding of what other people are experiencing
0: so how do you sort of go about accepting what other people have done with that final copy how do you accept the final copy do you say look you're the expert on this thank you very much or do you say "Ooh, don't really like that
1: well, it de- it depends. I think when it comes to something like the actual mastering process at the very end, that pretty much I'm you know by that point I'm really I'm really ready to hand it off to somebody who's just going to make it kind of industry level loudness, and it's going to be just sort of putting the final touches on what's my what's been my vision. Um, but there's a step before that where I'm getting feedback from other artists or, or uh, just. People, people with ears if its music, and figuring out having to make decisions about whether I think the feedback is something I want to act on or not. This, so this is a little different than than collaborating, right? This is a little bit more like getting feedback on something that's mine. Collaborating would be a little bit would be a, a bit of a different process, and would definitely involve other people earlier um, than 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 just this. But I think for for this part, you know, getting feedback on. You know, written material or on music, any of it, it, you you have to make some decisions about whether a new piece of feedback is too much of a departure from your vision. Um, And then have the courage to just stick with your vision uh, some of the time. And then other times say, hey, this actually, this is a, a new way of looking at what I was really going for. And this is helping me, this is actually helping me realize my vision rather than changing it
0: specialist or generalist we seem to live in a world that is full of specialists now everyone's a specialist in something or other Uh, how do you see yourself
1: yeah um that's a that's a good question it it makes me think of um i think somebody i forget who said this but somebody had, had said that um leibniz was the last person that knew everything something like that um and he was a, a contemporary of, of Isaac Newton. So you know, 1660s or something. And I'm around then. Um, and what, what, the point there is that, uh, past then, even within the sciences, not including the arts and everything else, the sciences, uh, became so complex that you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't be, uh, you couldn't have the full depth in all the areas that there were you know, now this is, you know, some 400 years ago, almost. Um, so, and obviously we've actually been on an exponential curve in terms of the sophistication and complexity of various fields of study. So, so there are so many things out there to be known and explored that, um, that there's a, there's a, there's a lot of pressure on specialization. And I mean, we see this in universities, right, like even I just think about like the physics department the philosophy department, the mathematics department, sociology department, like even within those single fields of study, um, you have uh, people that are specialists in one little branch of their subfield. So in philosophy, you have, let's see, metaphysics, ethics, epistemology, and logic, basically, like divided into those four areas. And then within each of those four areas, you have you have you know more subfields. And then nobody is even a specialist in an entire subfield. Like you've got to you know it's like you're a specialist in one question, and that's just in the philosophy department. You know like that. So th- there's a lot of demands on specialization. Um, but I think also one of the things that's extremely important and is probably getting lost by the the value that we're placing on specialization right now is this idea of integrating various fields of study and various ideas in ways that kind of build out a more uh, robust and fuller picture right so um i think you need to have specialists and specialists you, you, you that's great but i think that that, that that there would be a i wish that we <laughs> So something like, you know, specializing in generalism, some ridiculous thing like that, that only only a philosopher would think of where the the, the point actually is on integrating fields of study um, and, you know, fields of experience. Uh, And I think, you know, for my part, like that's the way that I kind of, you know, I started off talking about this idea that, you know, I do strategy and organizational development consulting and I'm, you know, really interested in these various athletic pursuits and in music and in philosophy. And, um, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of my generalist recipe, you know, there it's like having, using those, those fields is my way to cover a a really broad area. I think that's important. I I think that, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see some some more value placed on that. I think you know when you're trying to write your bio, it sounds really good to be a you know a specialist in X, Y, or Z because hey, if he's a specialist in that, let's hire him to do that thing. Um, because why would we hire somebody who's not a specialist when we can get a specialist to do that? Um, so there's there's pressure there, but I think that what you're what you're missing is the, this ability to integrate across fields, and that's actually something that we're really. Um, intentional about a strategy matters, I think is keeping our project portfolio intentionally rather diverse just for exactly that, that reason that we might be learning things in our work in one area that actually become relevant in, in some other area. Like I know this is now, this is now um, like a, a well-known thing, but this idea of wayfinding in, in museum, right? So like, n- you know, navigating through a, through an art exhibit, um, and then using that sort of as a metaphor for the way that you would navigate a social services network, for example, you know, things like that. So that, that now this, this is by now kind of an old idea, but um, you know, there are metaphors and, and approaches that you might learn in one place that are actually highly relatable if you're looking at them in the right way uh, in another area. So that's something that we, we do pretty intentionally is, is to um, is to maintain a generalist approach for that reason. And then also being clear about really like what, what things like, what are the things that we do that we are specialists in? So, um, you know, we are specialists in process and then facilitating people through a process. So we, we have clients that work in criminal justice. We have clients that are um, architectural engineers. We have clients that are in various parts of the human services networks and we're not experts in all of those areas and we're not experts in any single one of them but we are experts in the process to bring a group from figuring out uh what it is that they want to accomplish together and then making a path that, to accomplishing it that that we can do for any group um, so that that is the, the specialty that we have but we are intentional about approaching it from sort of a generalist lens
0: final question you come from the united states it's a hard question to answer i know who's the most creative person they can be live they can be you know not alive
1: that is a very hard question wow well i can tell you um the most that's really tough Um, I can tell you one person I'm thinking about right now because I'm reading some stuff that they've been writing is this, um, this guy, Peter Godfrey Smith, he wrote this book called Other Minds. Um, I just happened to be reading that recently. I think it's a really interesting take on consciousness. Um, I think there's a lot of creativity in the way that he framed and then answered a lot of what he's writing on. Um, I, I, I don't think that I would say that he's the most creative person um, <laughs> that that's ever existed in the U.S. But he's the person that happens to be, you know, kind of in my mind right now because I'm thinking about his work. You know, probably there are lots of artists that we don't know about that are not very good at finishing, that are among the most creative because all of their resources are put on creativity and not on the final steps that it takes you to get recognized for your creativity.
0: What a wonderful answer. Thank you very much. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Seriously, absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. It's been really actually helpful to me to articulate some of these things that I spend so much time thinking about. So thanks to you.
0: Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week with a guest from Argentina who I met a number of years ago. In my view... He'll be one of the future candidates for president. Don't forget to have a look at the website. You'll find some stuff to help you develop your creative abilities. I'm Joel. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you do?